Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who are in person and those of you who are online as part of our community, it is just such a gift to be together in worship. And, and if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Charlie Browning. I'm one of the pastors on our staff team here. And, and if you're newer to the life of the church, or maybe even if this is your very first time at Christ Church, then it'd be helpful for you to know that we're in part two, we're Sunday number two of our Lenten sermon series that we're journeying up through Easter, and we're titling it Messy, The Challenge of Loving Like Jesus. Messy, The Challenge of Loving Like Jesus. And the idea is, if you take an honest look at the scriptures and the call to love like Jesus loves, then you'll quickly find out it's an incredible messy endeavor. And today, we're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. And so if you have a Bible with you or if you have your phone, I'd invite you to pull it out. Um, or, or you can just Google John 5 or pull it up on a Bible app and, and follow along as we go. I'm going to jump right in. We get to John chapter 5, and uh, Jesus' ministry is, is kind of in full force at that point. Uh, at, at this point... Uh, leading up to, the, to John chapter 5, according to the gospel writer John, uh, Jesus has called his first disciples. He, he, he's turned water into wine. He's engaged with some of the religious leaders of the time. He, he's ministered to people like the Samaritan woman that others would say, you're not supposed to minister to people like that. And then finally in John chapter 5, he, he's making his way to Jerusalem to, for, for this major festival that's about to happen. And, and and, and, and it's particularly noteworthy where Jesus makes his way to as he's getting there. It says, the text tells us that Jesus makes his way to this pool called Bethesda as he's going to Jerusalem. And, and this is a pool where the text tells us that disabled people would lie around the pool hoping to be cured by the waters. The, the, the legend had it that, that an angel on occasion would come down and stir up the waters of the pool and that the first person to be get into the pool after this happened, that, that they would be cured of whatever ailment was plaguing them at that time. And so this pool is where Jesus intentionally goes on his way to Jerusalem, or as he arrives in Jerusalem, I should say. And, and it's definitely noteworthy that he's coming at the time of this important festival. This means that, that the who's who of the surrounding area would have been descending on Jerusalem at that point. All the people with, with lots of money, with lots of status, with lots of power and influence and followings. All these people would have been congregating in Jerusalem for this festival. And theologian Dale Bruner points out that it's especially noteworthy where Jesus goes for this coming to this festival compared to where everybody else goes when they arrive to Jerusalem. Bruner says, when Jesus arrived at the festival, he did not go to the palace or the places of mass appeal, but to the, but to the major place of need. You see, when, when Jesus goes to Jerusalem for this festival that's gonna include all these people, he doesn't go to the palace or the places of mass appeal where everybody else is going. No, Jesus intentionally goes to the major place of need. You got to know at this point in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus' ministry is not incredibly well established. It's not like he has these massive amounts of following at this point. Everybody's not trying to like cram their neck to, to see him or, or, or to experience him at this point. No, Jesus is sort of in the startup phase still of his ministry. 
And if any of you have been a part of any sort of startup phase of anything, then you know that if Jesus was any kind of strategist, he would have made his way right to the heart of the city. And he would have mingled with all the people with lots of money and tons of influence and tons of status. That, he, that, that would have been the most strategic thing that he could do. If he wanted the most amount of people to hear his message, to know who he is, then he would have gone straight to the heart of the city. But he doesn't do that. No, actually, he does just the opposite. He heads to the pool of Bethesda where people who had been cast off to the fringe of society were. You see, in many ways, if going to the palaces or the places of mass appeal, that would have felt clean and easy and simple in a lot of ways. But going to the pool of Bethesda, now that would have felt a little bit more messy. And this is where we pick up our passage in John chapter 5, starting in verse 5. The text says this. It says, One who was there, one who was at that pool, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Friends, this is the incredible and true word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The text tells us that that this one person who is beside the pool, had been lying there for 38 years. 38 years. Do you know how long 38 years is? 38 years ago, Ronald Reagan was president. 38 years ago, the the Challenger space shuttle exploded. 38 years ago, Oprah Winfrey's show made its debut. And 38 years ago, the Chicago Bears were good at football. 38 years is a long time. This is how long this man has been by the pool. And the text tells us that that upon learning of the length of the man's suffering, Jesus is even more inclined to go interact with him and engage with him. You probably know this, but it's one thing to, to suffer It's another thing entirely to suffer for a long period of time. That in the world of suffering, duration often adds gravity to misery. Another way of saying it is that that those who carry messiness around with them for a long period of time tend to begin to feel the heaviness even more and more of that messiness. And the text seems to indicate that Jesus has an extra little bit of compassion for those types of people who have been suffering for a long time. And if that's you, if you find yourself in that boat, then I think today you especially need to know that the heart of God beats particularly for you. 
that God has an extra bit of compassion for you. Jesus is struck by the man's story in so many ways, and so he proceeds to engage with him, and he asks him, do you want to get well? It's clear in the text that the man has a physical disability of some sort that has hindered him from being able to experience life in a physical state the way that he might maybe hope to experience it. And when Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well, he's certainly poking at the physical state of the man. You see, because throughout the scriptures, we see that God cares deeply about our bodies, that our bodies matter to him. And as much as possible on this side of heaven, where, where sin and brokenness reign and there is sickness and death running rampant, that God does desire to heal us physically as much as it's possible, but even more so plans to do so on the other end of things as, as we have resurrected and fully restored bodies. Our bodies do matter to God. And so, so when he asks the man, do you want to get well? He's poking at this for sure. But even more so, I think, that when he asks the man, do you want to get well, he's aiming at the spiritual state of the man's life. Because any normal person who has been lonely and waiting on something to happen for 38 years that has not happened would be at the end of their rope. The text doesn't tell us this, but I just have to imagine that this man's soul is dripping with desperation and despair. And Jesus knows that. In fact, Jesus is inclined toward this man, particularly for this reason. He says it himself in Luke chapter 5, that this is, this is frankly the reason that he came to earth in the first place. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He goes on to say, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not here for the healthy people, Jesus says. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the messy. I don't really think I can go on any further without just asking you to examine that for yourself, to ask that question for yourself then the context that Jesus is referring to, are you healthy or are you sick? Are, are you righteous or, or are you a sinner? Are you, are you all good, making your way through life as if nothing is difficult at all, or do you need help? Are you good playing the role of God yourself, or, or do you actually need a Savior? You see, if the former is true for you, if, if you feel like you're going through life just totally fine, not experiencing the ill effects of the brokenness and sin of this world at all, then for the next couple of minutes, I, I don't really have that much to offer you. But if that's not you, if you have seen the ramifications of how the brokenness of this world manifests itself in your own life, maybe you find yourself completely exhausted all the time or feel like there is nobody around you who actually genuinely cares for you or are constantly dealing with family drama 
or are feeling weighed down by, by the secrets that you are keeping that nobody else knows. Or, or, or if you're just struggling, if you feel like there's something completely missing in your life, or you feel like you have no one to turn to when life comes into a crisis, if those types of things are true of you, then Jesus has the same invitation for you that he has for the man in this story. The invitation is this. If you are sick, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? It's such a short question. So to the point. And it makes me think, Jesus asked this one question to this man. It makes me think of all the questions that he doesn't ask him that I think it's worth paying attention to. Jesus does not ask the man questions like, did you do something to get like this? Have you really tried helping yourself? Are you sure you've tried that hard? Why aren't you like everyone else? These are the questions that Jesus doesn't ask the man. And I think so often in the midst of our own messiness, we find ourselves beating ourselves up, asking those types of questions inside of us in the midst of our pain or our missteps or our shortcomings or our difficult circumstances. But the thing about it is Jesus has nothing to do with that. He's not interested in doing that at all. The only thing he seems interested in doing in the midst of our messiness and the midst of our sickness is entering into life right with us and asking, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, uh, people are funny sometimes because God will ask us these incredibly profound questions like he does in this text. And then we will respond with the most ordinary, uninspiring, human-like responses you could imagine. Like the God of the universe asks this man, do you want to get well? And the man responds by basically saying that he's not sure the logistics of that could possibly work out. He says to Jesus, I don't have anybody here with me to help me get well. I don't have anybody here with me to help me get well. I I think the man's response is absolutely worth taking note of. You see, because he's not doubting, so to speak. He's just kind of admitting his humanness and his limitations and understanding what Jesus is talking about. But what the man's response seems to indicate, what it tells us is that he definitely acknowledges that he's messy. He's aware that his life is nowhere near put together. And what does he want in the midst of all of that? What is his deepest desire? It's to have someone enter into his mess with him. Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, and the man says, I don't have anybody who's in it with me. I don't have anyone who can help me. All this man wants in the midst of his desperation and despair 
is for someone to care about him, for someone to be his advocate, for someone to take enough time to get to know him that they might actually begin to understand how to help him get well. And in that moment, the God of the universe raises his hand and says, I'm going to be that person for you. And the God of the universe enters into his mess. And in just a few short words, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Eternity has changed forever for this man. That he is made well. Friends, the call of the Christian is to model this type of love that we see from Jesus to other people. The call of the Christian is toward the people who have been cast to the fringe of society, toward to the people who don't feel like they have anybody in their life to help them get well, who, who are lying by the pool, so to speak, waiting for someone to enter into their mess with them. And the call of the Christian is to model what Jesus does and to actually stoop low enough to enter into the messiness of life with those people, to actually care for them, to be their advocate, and to, and to spend enough time with them that we might actually know how to help them to get well. You see, the call to love like Jesus loves, it, it does have something to do with being kind to the person who's checking you out at the grocery store. But it would be a gross mischaracterization to say that that is all that loving like Jesus loves entails. Because the call this verse and text seems to indicate to love like Jesus loves means to identify the people that you don't want to love at all or you don't even think are worthy of your love and to enter into the messiness of life with them the way that Jesus does. And if you are like me, then you will think of every possible reason in the book to not do that. Hey, God, you know, um, I'm a little busy over here. I don't have time for that. Well, God, I, I'm shouldering enough right now. I, there's no way I can take on that person's stuff too. They got way too much stuff that they would dump on me. God, you know, I really think it would be a good life lesson for that person to learn to get well on their own. They, they really need to learn how to work hard enough to just figure this out on their own. I, I, I shouldn't intervene. Or God, they don't, they're not even going to want my help. Uh, if I try, they, they, they wouldn't even accept it. They, they wouldn't even let me enter into life with them. They, they'd say, no, it's not even worth trying. I mean, I could go on. There's a myriad of things that we say to ourselves that, that make it so that we don't have to do this. But I love what the Reverend Benjamin Kramer says about this concept. He says, we will believe so many myths and conspiracies about the people we've already decided not to love. 
We will believe so many myths and conspiracies about the people that we've already decided not to love. Who have you already decided not to love? Because here's the gospel truth. God wants that person to be made well. And by golly, I think he might want you to play a part in that. Chapter five ends, or I'm sorry, begins by telling us that there are a great number of people laying beside the pool of Bethesda. And I think this great number illustrates two fundamental truths about our world that we need to understand. The first is that there is an incredible need in our world, that that there are so many people in our world who are lonely, desperate, feeling helpless, who just want someone to be there with them, who don't feel like they have anybody to help them be made well. And the second thing that it illustrates is that the world cares very little for the people who have been cast aside, who are the, the fringe figures of our world, the people who are extra messy. The world cares very little for those people who have been set aside to the fringe of our world. But here's the thing about the character of Jesus. He is not daunted by the incredible need of this world. Nor does he think that he is too important or too good to enter into the messiness of it with us. He's done it for us. And he actually calls us to participate with him and do it for others. Reverend James Woodall gives us the challenge to close. He says, if God can be humble, why can't you? Friends, if you want to follow the call of Jesus to love like he loves, you can start by finding the messiest person that you know and entering into their life with them. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that you do not shy away from messiness. You care deeply for us. You did not see yourself as too good or too important or too pure to not be willing to enter into our mess with us, to not be willing to engage with us and help to make us well. And so Lord, we ask then that you would compel us through the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you and model after you what you have shown us. That we might enter into the messiness of the lives of other people right alongside you with the aim of helping them to get well. Lord, we thank you for the vision of this church to lift people to be a part of your restorative work to help others who have been cast on the fringe of society be made well. Lord, might you let us play an active part in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.